Good afternoon, good morning, or good evening, and welcome to the American Age Podcast. This is your host, C. Travis Webb, editor of the American Age. Hi, this is Stephen G. Fullwood. I'm the co-founder of the Nomadic Archivist Project, and I'm coming to you from Harlem, and it's a sunny day. Hi, I'm Seth Rodney. I'm a senior editor at Hyperlogic, and I'm speaking to you from the South Bronx. This is to remind our listeners that we practice a form of what we like to call intellectual intimacy, which is giving each other the space and time to figure out things out loud and together. Uh, And we have returned to um, a common annual theme, which seems like it's a tradition at this point, um, which is unlucky days. Um, and to give you this very brief cliff notes on this, in the traditional Mesoamerican calendar, um, there are a series of days um, that there's a long count calendar and a short count calendar. And there, as the short count calendar renews uh, and on the long count, there are these days between the end of one year and the beginning of a new year. And those days have been called uh, by scholars uh, unlucky days, meaning that there are all these pro these all these things that you shouldn't do during that series of days. Like you don't enter into contracts, you don't do all this kind of stuff. You know, cut your fingernails. I think was one of them. And the analogy in our current uh, is uh, system of uh, counting is that between Christmas and New Year. Um, there's a weird pause on the calendar. Obviously, the days continue to accumulate. The 26th, 27th happens. But I know for me, it feels like a weird in-between time um, where you're just sort of waiting for the start of the new year. And of course, your routines might continue and you might have to go to work because you know you still got to pay the rent and all that. Mm-hmm. But culturally, the space feels very liminal to me. It feels like it's in between two states. Um, and so we return to this uh, topic uh, each year for during that period of time uh, to talk about whatever random things we want to talk about uh, as far as the things that, that don't fall into the normal flow um, of our conversations and of our lives. Mm-hmm. So um, open floor, uh, unlucky days. <laughs> is it, uh, what does it uh, provoke for a Stephen SF and obviously an opportunity for us to be a bit more personal as well. Um, mm-hmm. so. Mm. Uh, I actually do have something. Go ahead, Stephen. I'm sorry. I'll no, just clear my throat. <laughs> oh, actually I do. I do have something then, uh, which just occurred to me as you were speaking, Travis, but what it means is that, oh, rather in order to talk about it, I will need to run to the kitchen. So give me one moment. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> so he needs to run to the kitchen. So I'll just I'll start some blabbering really quickly. I am. I just finished reading the uh, a book by Deborah Harry, who's the lead singer of Blondie, a punk group in the seventies, uh-huh. kind of bled into the eighties. Sure. And so I was struck by. The tightest eye. How people like Blondie, who always struck me, I think Blondie, Deborah Harry herself has always been an enigma. Mm. She just kind of stood in front mm. of the band and she sang, occasionally moved a little bit. <laughs> but she always struck me as a Barbie doll that had been roughed up a bit. Like she's a punk. Mm. She's a punk. And so mm-hmm. she stands there and she just mm-hmm. kind of, it was a gas. And I remember being, <laughs> you know, I time travel a lot when I think about when I first heard something and how I was feeling versus uh-huh. how I feel now. And and so I'd watch her mm-hmm. 
barely moving, you know, just kind of like, and also like the, so I remember seeing her, I think on Solid Gold or maybe even the video for Heart of Glass before MTV. And I was like, she's barely moving. What's going on? But as a kid, I really enjoyed (laughs) singers who moved, you know, they were moving and they were singing Mm. and were animated. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as punk do-it-yourself culture came to Toledo for me as a kid, I was, I was like, you know, yeah, nothing really matters. Uh, you know, just like, yeah, that makes sense yeah. to me. <laughs> and there's that moment where Blondie bleeds over into rap with the song Rapture. And after th- how mm. many years? 40 years, I go, oh, yeah, Rapture. <laughs> That's what that meant. I had no idea until I read the book that they were actually, they were the kind of group that just did anything that they want. So they're a nightmare to their record company because they always wanted the last uh-huh. hit replicated, sure. right? And she was like, yeah, we just did whatever we wanted. And there was a guy named Mike Chapman who was a producer for a few of the albums. He goes, when I first saw them in L.A., I was I just laughed. He goes, they were just terrible. <laughs> they were just on stage, mm-hmm. you know. And so in the studio, he continued to rehearse them, rehearse them, rehearse them. I read that, mm-hmm. and then I went to her book, and she goes, yeah, we were in the studio. And we, after a while, we, we could do it on, you know, we could do it in a minute. But it took us a while to kind of bring us together because they were a punk band. Mm-hmm. And they were yeah. probably one of the most successful, they were one of the most successful punk bands that existed, but they mm. were just any genre they wanted to be at any given point. Mm. And I really like that. So I've been reading that mm-hmm. and just kind of, that's all I have to offer. <laughs> mm. <That's Okay>. it. <laughs> so there you're back from the, Seth, back from you the kitchen. Seth, you were your, your kitchen. Oh, yeah. So, but well, my thing is quite different. Uh, I've been thinking about this the last few days because I started off the fall uh, thinking, realizing that it was going to be the busiest time I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I kept a list of things that I... Um, <laughs> He's showing us a list. You can't see it, though, yes. people. Yeah. yeah a we list can't either. either. But I'm going to read. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to... Right. It's blurry. I'm going to read a bunch of the things that are on this list and list them. Uh, I I should say uh, categorize them uh, usefully for myself, too, because this is a kind of map for Mm. the past Mm. mm, three and a half months. Okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had three different sort of catalog essays. Actually, one was uh, a shorter text for a show opening at a gallery called... Thierry Goldberg, downtown Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. But I had a catalog essay for Maleko Mogosi's show and for the Crystal Bridges show on craft that will open in October of next year. Mm-hmm. Um, then I had several class lectures, one at Parsons, mm-hmm. one at Columbia, one at NYU and Bruce Altschuler's um, uh, museum studies class, and then Edward Sullivan also at NYU, uh, his class on curation and music themes. Nice. Mm -hmm. Then I had studio visits at Smack Mellon, which was, um, ooh, that 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 was tough. And then I had studio visits also at, which is actually not on this list, but I now remember. I had studio visits at SUNY Purchase, which was an all-day affair, and that was honestly exhausting. It was good, but it was exhausting. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then and then I was on two panels. I was on a panel for the TEFAF Fair 
at the Armory on Park Avenue, which was a great panel, actually. I was on there with Melissa Smith, with Kelly Baum, who's a curator at the Met, and with Sean Kelly, who is the owner of Sean Kelly Gallery, who uh, shows uh, Kehinde Wiley and uh, Marina Abramovich and other real super A-list stars. Um, mm-hmm. We had a really good conversation. It was led by a guy named Evan... Um, Evan uh, uh, I'm blanking on his last name now. And mm-hmm. I was also... Uh, I made a presentation at the uh, Armstrong Historic House, which mm-hmm. was the only one I think this... This fall, I screwed up. I just did not do a very good job on that, and I feel bad about that. Mm. Um, I was just, I was just overtired and underprepared. Okay, uh, mm. but I also had a presentation at the Q Foundation on really obscure and recherche writing and art, which I thought I did mm. well. Uh, I just got up and I spoke, and I think that went pretty well. Okay. And then I had a lecture at UMass Amherst, which was, I think, like two weeks ago, where, uh, and this was like this sort of culmination for me of my fall. And I got up and I talked about art criticism and my approach to it and how I take this more sort of phenomenological Mm -hmm. uh, uh, direction Mm -hmm. um, and talking about how the work can speak to me in the moment of interacting with it. And people were really enthusiastically joyful at the end of that thing. So I felt mm. like I, I, I did something worthwhile. Okay. Um, and then finally, I um, for that appearance in <clears throat> Edward Sullivan's class on curation at NYU, I just got a note from him yesterday saying that he wanted to let me know that each of the students in their making their final presentations referred to the time I had come in and talked with them about what I do and about my book on nice. the museum visit. Mm-hmm. And he said that they, he said each one, and he em- and emphasized each, uh, referred to that that moment, that talk, that conversation as being really helpful. Oh, and, good. And, 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 and yeah, and supportive of their work. So for me, the, the unlucky days, and this is what it's all leading up to, is really, uh, for me, is going to be a time of just, rest and a time mm. of like accepting that I've, that I've really run the race this past mm-hmm. few months and I acquitted myself pretty well. And, mm-hmm. and and this is the first time in my life where I feel like all the sort of threads of my abilities to mm-hmm. speak, to write, to be critical are coming together mm-hmm. and I've mm-hmm. done so and I've come together in such a way that I can kind of feel proud of my accomplishments, you know. Oh, good. So, so this is it's going to be like it's going to be for me these next few days that moment of just kind of allowing myself to breathe and mm-hmm. and and look back over what I've done and, and feel good about it. I love it that you're tracking yourself and that you're archiving yourself. Hopefully, so you're keeping records of the very things mm-hmm. that you've said you've done. Yeah, yeah, go. <laughs> I will have a record. I will. I, I'm hoping that there will be smart people to decipher this stuff when I'm gone. Well, the, your yeah. emails are one thing. That's one. Yeah, yeah, that's one, true. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. And that they would want to. Right. right? I mean, that would also <laughs> right. be. You know, right. I mean, that the, you know that 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 one's place in the world would 
be mm-hmm. uh, so important that people would take the time to sift through the leftovers uh, to figure out what else was going on and what you were trying to say. So, I mean, that mm-hmm. that itself would be a kind of gift, I think. Yeah, I've, I've been to the future, Travis. I know that they're going to be looking for him. <laughs> you know, I will. I believe you. I believe you, Negro Damas. Like you, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. Can do it. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you do. So we're gonna we're gonna change the topic to narcissists. And we're gonna... <laughs> well, hey, hey, wait I, me man. myself, I self, me myself self-identifying. Yeah, yeah. I uh, you know I don't I don't really keep. Um, Records of where I've been, mm-hmm. uh, I think most of my life is preoccupied with where I'm going. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that uh, that carries some real consequences. Um, mm. And in that you, um, it means that you're always moving on an empty stomach. Mm. Right. If you don't, Ooh. if you don't take, if you don't take the time to, and this is something I'm terrible at. If I don't take the time to stop and look at where I've been and the experiences that I've had and the things that I've accomplished, mm-hmm. it just feels like I'm always hungry. Mm. Um, and mm-hmm. and what and what that means is that you're just never actually satisfied. Um, mm. And I I know. Um, for me that there are real consequences for that, um, mm. you know, financially, uh, for my family. I mean, I've always, um, I've always, um, tried to figure out a way, you know, we run a business to make the business grow, to get us ahead, mm-hmm. to have more money, to do stuff that we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it means taking a lot of risks and, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, I don't I don't know if my if my orientation was a little bit different and I stopped um every once in a while to look back at the ground covered. Mm-hmm. Um I wonder if I wouldn't move a little bit more cautiously uh, hmm. into the future. Hmm. Um yeah, so uh, hmm. unlucky days are a good reminder of that for me. So I have a hmm. question for you Travis. Um mm-hmm. yeah, shoot. So the impulse to to always stay hungry, do you feel like it sharpens your intellect, your wit, your um, the way you deal with people? Um, does it keep you loose? You know, what are some of the ways in which not looking back um, are beneficial? That's a very that's a very generous question. I appreciate that, and I do think that that is one of the benefits. Molly and I were talking about this. It's my wife. Molly and I were talking about this last night. Mm-hmm. Um, that. Uh, without naming anyone in particular, I've had a lot of in- very, very, very intelligent, inspirational friends in my past. Mm-hmm. Um, people that I've lost touch with. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And then have come back around to in, in various settings. Um, and have been surprised at how little their ideas have changed mm. since I knew them. Oh, okay. um, and, I, and I know for me, my... My, I mean, you. I, you actually. The the question was very insightful. There, because of that, I guess on the positive side of it, I wasn't thinking of it this way. Because of that continual hunger, mm-hmm. um, like literally every idea I have is open to revision 
Every single one. Yeah. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not ever, 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 ever settled. Um, I am always open to being wrong. You've demonstrated that mm. on the podcast repeatedly, mm. you know. Mm. Thanks. Yeah. I appreciate uh -huh. that. Yeah. I mean, but that, that is, that is, that is one upside to it, mm -hmm. um, for sure. Um, but you know, the c consequences, costs, right? There's, there, there's also things you, that uh, you give up for that too. So. We all win and we all lose. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, what you do, well, what you do is you give up a sense of safety, right? I mean, I mean, you, yeah. you kind of alluded to this in talking about the ways that yeah. you, yeah. <clears throat> That you've dealt with certain risks that you've taken and, 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 and your concern, which I don't think you fully articulated, but I could hear it underneath, is this concern that they may not be as safe financially as they could be otherwise, right? Yes. That is the um, subtext, yeah. Right. That's, 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 that's yeah. the subtext. But I, I also think that what you when you say staying hungry and then you link that to um thinking about the ways in which your friends have not changed their um ideological outlooks mm -hmm. um mm. I'm curious about this idea that changes change has to be constant to show growth does it like mm. is it possible mm. to get to a place where we like I have a settled idea on something, and it's the right one. Ah, uh, that's the word, though. That's the word, right? Wouldn't it look differently in different contexts, mm. right? Mm. Do you know? Mm. I mean, yeah, I mean, so let's get down to brass tacks. Let's let, let, let's do an idea, right? Let's let's work mm. through one. This idea that uh, every human being should be addressed in the way that mm. he, she, or they want to be addressed. Like that's, mm -hmm. that seems to me to be like a bedrock kind of principle. And I'm like, I don't think that that's going to shift mm. in the next, mm. you know, however long I'm going to be on the planet. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you feel me? I don't know. Um, <laughs> no, just. <laughs> <laughs> you get me? You get me. I don't get you, and I'm not um, calling you what you call yourself. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> I think fundamentally, um, if you call people well, what they ask you to call them, even if it's their name mm -hmm. and you don't try to pronounce their name, that's a basic, mm -hmm. to me, a tenet of, I'm not acknowledging you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right, well, but it's but a principle. What if, what, they want you to call, what if they want you to call them master or fewer? Oh. So those... Uh, Those are very, very, yeah. Like, that's a good point. Okay, okay. No, now that's we, a very good point. This is somewhere. why I thought Seth was yes. going earlier with what if yeah. their names and thing, what if they're, um, what if there's a position you fundamentally don't agree with? Do you still acknowledge right. them right. as what they that's want right. to be called? Because, because there's some evil there. <laughs> I mean, right. So, yeah. so, right. so, yes. so, if yeah. Donald Trump, them or whatever, that's not evil. No, 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 right. right. But if Donald Trump <laughs> ran into me in the street and, and he expected me to address him as president, fuck that. That yeah. clown? No. I'm not, no, well, I'm not I'll give you a concrete that. historical example is a bunch of Europeans said they wanted you to call them white. And mm. and that and 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 thus rot the world. And right. so right. no, I, right. I don't. I, I think that's right. Maybe not that we should always allow people to call mm. themselves what they want to be called. That's so funny. Um, 
Because I was it, this is so this is to go I guess to push back against the the settled position thing mm-hmm. or to mm-hmm. to kind of to second Stephen's skepticism about that mm-hmm. that just our the ability of even the most capacious intellect to act as a useful filter for the variety of experiences mm. that exist in the world is mm. so limited. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. it's like you're squeezing the ocean through a thimble. Mm-hmm. Like you just, yeah. there is so, I mean, there is just so much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. about the world and about human experience. We don't and, know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, about the material world, mm-hmm. about the intellectual, potentially spiritual world. That mm. like if you, like that just means you turn to stone. Otherwise, if you, if you're not if you're not open to, um, if you're not open to that constant revision, or that that okay. is the danger, right? That is the yeah. danger. You turn to stone. Yeah. I shouldn't be yeah. so uh, yeah, definitive yeah, yeah. about it. No, but, but I, the, yeah, you guys, you both convinced me of that. Like I, I see that. I can see that now. That's right. There, 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 nothing can be settled because it's yeah. we're constantly in motion, and the world. Yeah. is. So my question for both of you then, so is mm-hmm. so the, similar mm-hmm. to the question you just asked, Travis. I mean, um, Seth. November thirtieth on Facebook, I wrote, "Can a human being be grounded and affirmed in the air, not on mm-hmm. terra firma or a routine or a sense of safety? Mm-hmm. That is, mm-hmm. are there ways to be comfy mm-hmm. in perpetual flux, flux mm-hmm. and flexibility, flexibility as a spiritual way of being? Just imagining that something mm-hmm. hasn't taken shape in my head yet, but yearns to. But something interesting mm-hmm. as I consider." As, as I work, right? Because I was thinking about someone like Derrida, which I know very little about, about mm-hmm. his work. But I was thinking about this this constantly, I'm not sure what this is yet. I mean, that's the mm-hmm. one of the ways I, I see some of what I've seen this stuff. But I like that better, mm-hmm. but it's, more, it's uncomfortable because you want to be mm-hmm. right about something. Mm-hmm. You want to be settled on something. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't mm-hmm. want my windows being broken out every night <laughs> or, mm-hmm. or sirens always mm-hmm. going off. But mm-hmm. is that the mm-hmm. only way for right. me to see that? And that's what I was trying to get at, you know, this air thing. Right. So, right. Right. so yeah. Right. Good questions. Good questions. I mean, I think, you know, I think, I guess I probably have some limitations with it because there are definitely, at least for this time and place, there are things I would, I'd go to the mat for, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. There are, there are some bedrock, there are some bedrock principles that I believe in, mm-hmm. um, definitively wholeheartedly mm-hmm. you know potentially unto death um, mm-hmm. and it, and i would want to say that no that's not open to revision you are never going to uh convince me that um the best way for human beings to interact with one another is to maximize their freedom now that doesn't mean absolute mm. freedom but it does mean giving as many people as possible the ability to freely associate and fuck and talk to whomever they want to fuck and talk to mm-hmm. um, and and reproduce with whoever they want to reproduce with or not mm-hmm. reproduce with whomever they don't want to reproduce with. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I fundamentally believe in maximizing that freedom with the understanding that in order to maximize that freedom, there has to be some protections and guardrails around that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that I firmly believe. Uh, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I suppose it's possible that there could be some experience I would have that would convince me otherwise. Mm-hmm. But, um, but I, that hasn't happened yet. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Hmm. That's interesting. That may be one place where we disagree fundamentally. Mm. I'm mm. not. Sure, I'm not convinced that that we we should have always been maximizing um, each other's freedom. I just am mm. slightly skeptical because I think I can't help but think of the. Um, I'm flashing back on a video of some guy in rural Pennsylvania holding a rifle in his hand and mm. having been asked about the upcoming, then upcoming election, 2016 election, and mm. him saying something like, yeah, there's no way I'd vote for uh, Hillary Clinton because she wants to take away all our guns. And I think about all <laughs> mm. these these guys who, mm. for whom... The gun in their possession mm. is coextensive with their masculinity and their power in the world mm. and how they cannot imagine letting go of that under any circumstances. Mm. <clears throat> I think of how they think of that as freedom. And I think, yeah, no, I, I definitely don't want to maximize that kind of freedom for them. I don't. So I see to me that that image screams as a kind of signifier that does not neatly tie up with the signification. So, um, mm. for example, tens of thousands of, and uh, I read this in a, an anthropology circular they send out to the members of the American Anthropological Association. You get this quarterly newsletter, and it was a short little article. Um, I, let me pull back on tens of thousands. I think it's mm. north of 10. I could be wrong. But thousands, definitively, thousands of crimes are stopped every year by people who own, by private gun owners. There are regions in the country in which uh, the fastest a police force could arrive there would be an hour. Like, the historically governments cannot be trusted and to maximize um, or to entirely restrict one's access to uh, means of self-defense means that you are locking down a monopoly on violence in a particular group mm. now okay. I am I am personally for stricter gun control mm -hmm. for a variety of reasons. But to be against stricter gun control doesn't and to and to fundamentally identify with what I I think you would probably agree with is is almost like a sacred object to gun rights owners, right? Their their gun is tightly bound up with their notion of freedom um, and an individual and, place in the world and masculinity. Oftentimes, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. absolutely, absolutely true. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, my friends, what we call exactly. acting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so I don't agree with those people, but those people are not my enemy. Roger Ailes is my enemy. Mm. You know, Sean Hannity is my enemy. Mm -hmm. Tucker Carlson is my mm -hmm. enemy. Like mm -hmm. there are there are definitely people in the cultural marketplace mm -hmm. or cultural battlefield, since to extend the analogy, that I consider my enemy. Mm -hmm. The person that is passionately advocating for their gun rights and just for that, I don't consider that person my enemy. Now connect that to like white nationalism that person is my enemy so but 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 i don't but just the gun alone 
Um, uh, no, I, I don't agree. I would push for legislation. I would restrict firearms, but I don't. I don't. I don't automatically think that because you take up that position, um, that you're necessarily mm-hmm. uh, opposite me on the battlefield. Well, what about England? They're coming over here. Hurry! 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm, but, but what I'm saying is that they spring from the same fount. They. Mm. They. They. Um, it, white settler ideology is what has made it possible to imagine that the gun is a sacred object mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. it is coextensive with one's masculinity and it does mm-hmm. mean essentially one's freedom. Mm-hmm. That that's they they come from the same damn place is what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Um, I, I, but at the same time, yeah, I yeah, don't want to. I, I think I probably agree with that. Yeah, I don't want to get too far afield. I mean, we already have, but I don't want to keep being too far afield. <laughs> unlucky from, days. Yeah, yeah it's like I think unlucky we're days the vital target. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. I mean, again, you know, this is this is right that we do this work uh, where we're not on uns- where we're not settled, where we're constantly mm-hmm. trying to like. Mm-hmm. Ground ourselves in the air, right? Yeah. Um, I think that's, that's I think that's a beautiful uh, analogy, yeah, Stephen. I'm glad is. that you wrote that. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah, me too. I, I, it's a. It's a. Uh, I think it encapsulates the sentiment exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be grounded in the air. Oof. All right. Are we going to end on that? That feels. Congra- uh, yeah. Feels yeah. right. I'm just hard, yeah, tired so, of hearing you guys talk. So yes. <laughs> what about me and the things I've done, Seth? I've done that's, a lot of stuff this year too, that's Seth. Fair. No, just joking. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, you guys, when we get together and we talk about, like, typically for listeners, it's off the air mm-hmm. when the podcast is done. We we get together and we try to coordinate our schedules, and it's dizzying because Stephen's here mm-hmm. and there and lecturing and doing this and that, and Travis is doing the same thing, Absolutely. giving a paper here and there, and traveling to uh, like it's and has a family crazy. and has a family yeah. that is a job it's, it is a job <laughs> you know it's a it's lovely just, job it's a job though yeah. you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the truth yeah, yeah yeah for sure so yeah. um so okay well my friends i mean so i guess this was a good th- 2019 i think i think for the mm. podcast it was a good 2019 it was agree yeah. Um, I think our conversations uh, are m- more fluid mm-hmm. and um, and move places. And um, I'm looking forward to taking the podcast into the 2020 with both of you. 2020. Yay. Woo. Yeah. All right, my friends. All right. Yeah. Well, happy, take care. Happy unlucky days. Yeah, you as well. All right. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.